0: Hi, this is Carolyn Neelachlan, your hostess with the mostest of From Paper to People podcast. And you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating
1: and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me.
0: And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
1: Episode 243, Movies About Music. Mm Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, we're going to take a look at some of our favorite movies about uh, music. Now, not movie musicals, per se, you know, where people break into song or have a big musical number, like like Singing in the Rain or Wizard of Oz or something like that. But instead, we wanted to look at movies that feature music as a, as a big part of the story, you know, where music helps drive the plot of the film in some way. So, we thought... Who better could join us to talk about movies with music in them than our good friend, Greg Martin. Greg, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, Drew. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure being on, so greatly appreciate it. Thanks.
1: Uh, you're a, sort of an ex-radio personality, and music's obviously been a big part of your life, <clears throat> so it seemed natural to have you come back and do this um we're going to put together a top 5 list of our favorite <clears throat> movies about music but before we get into our lists this week uh Derek you want to kick us off with some pop culture that you can educate me on this week my friend
0: Yeah yeah I got a, a relatively short list hopefully I can keep it to 5 minutes or somewhere thereabouts Greg Greg should we put him on the clock what do
2: you think Absolutely <laughs> You got to hold him you got to hold him to his resolutions <laughs> <Love> man <it. laughs> You fitting right. down here
0: Okay, I'm going to start the clock then. Okay, go. (laughs) All right. So the first one, I I watched two movies on Netflix this week that were both from 2016, and they were both recommended to me by Netflix as something I might like, and I actually enjoyed both of them. The first one is called The Take. But it was actually originally called Bastille Day. So depending on where you look it up, uh, you'll see it called both things. It's got uh, Idris Elba and uh, one of the guys who was one of the Stark brothers from uh, Game of Thrones. And it, it's basically uh, a bomb threat is, is happening in France on Bastille Day, which is the equivalent of Independence Day in the U.S., and um idris alba's character has to work with this pickpocket played by the game of thrones guy to try and thwart the bombing and uh, you know it's your typical mindless action movie a lot of interesting scenes it was a lot of fun uh, i mean it's not it didn't win any oscars but uh, it, it it was an entertaining movie it was worth the 90 minutes and thank you i've never even heard of that
1: before so thanks. yeah uh,
0: but it kept showing up like this was in the top 10 this week on netflix i'm like really so anyway uh another one from 2016 Uh, another action movie i'd never heard of it's called spectral and it's marginally a ripoff of the plot of aliens uh where there is a war happening in some uh middle uh, 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 uh eastern european country it's supposed to be like russia or somewhere near russia and uh the u.s military is in there trying to fight them and then something happens and all the people they're fighting start dying and all the soldiers start dying and then they realize it's like these ghostly spectral apparition things and it, it basically follows the same beats as the movie Aliens, Uh but it was pretty decent. And by the end, they sort of explain in a way that marginally sort of makes sense what these ghost things are. And um, again, it didn't have a huge cast, but a lot of people you sort of watch and go, oh, I totally recognize that guy from that thing, but you never remember any of the the actual actor's names. Um, but it, again, it was a, a pretty interesting shoot 'em up sci-fi kind of movie. Um, if you liked Aliens, uh, it, again, a lot of the same beats. You'll, you'll be scratching your head going, this seems kind of familiar. Uh, so it was called Spectral. And then on the Rewind channel, I got a chance for the very first time to see the movie Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone <laughs> from 1993. How many times have you seen Cliffhanger, Greg? Uh,
2: Watson, that's one too many times. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: <laughs> I've, I've seen it seen zero that.
2: times and that's too many.
0: Wow. No, uh, <laughs> as I've said before, um, the podcast, I like the rewatchables. They did an episode of Cliffhanger and I thought, well, I can't listen to the episode until I see the movie and the movie happened to come on like two days later. I'm like nice. perfect timing. So I watched the movie Again, it's a very typical 90s action movie. A lot of uh, Stallone taking off his shirt for absolutely no reason just to show off. He's his, up a mountain. You know, he should be arms. cold. <laughs> exactly. The movie takes place like it's all about mountain climbing, yet he's got no hat because you can't mess up his hair. You gotta be able to see his face. He's got no shirt. You gotta be able to like see his arms and his pecs and stuff. It's so ridiculous. It's so over the top. It's so 90s. Uh, it was fun, but yeah, it, 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 it sort of held up as a 90s thing, but that was about it. And then I had a chance to watch a documentary for 40 days and 40 nights. Watch
1: documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. Lay it on us, brother. Hey, what just you for watch? the
0: record, that eats 15 seconds out of my 5 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, the documentary I watched was on Amazon Prime and it was called Lobster War: The Fight Over the World's Richest Fishing Grounds. And honestly, I don't know how I even stumbled across this, but essentially (laughs) there is an island between Maine and Nova Scotia that is disputed as to whether or not it's Canadian or American. And based on the way that the fishing laws work, you can fish a certain amount of miles or kilometers away from the shore of where your country is. So if it's a Canadian island, the Canadians can fish there. And if it's an American island, the Americans can fish there. But since it's disputed, they're like the, 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 the fishermen are all in each other's business about it. And for many years, it wasn't a big deal, but as global warming has been happening and the temperature of the oceans has risen, even just a couple of points, the lobsters have started to migrate North in ridiculous numbers. And suddenly there's literally tens of millions of dollars of lobster that are being pulled out of these waters every year. So when you're talking $10 million or more, people are going to start doing stuff. And so it was an interesting, uh, an interesting look at, how uh how these fishermen and uh you know got into it so hence the term lobster war i told my wife i watched a movie called lobster war and she's like did they like clamp at each other were they giant mutant lobsters i'm like no it was documentaries about fishermen she's like my movie sounds better
1: yeah that sounds like godzilla versus mecha lobster or something
0: yeah exactly so that was it i came in under five minutes wow
1: you the the clock almost started ticking on you there you got away with one so greg any pop culture you've been into lately anything interesting
2: Yeah, I'm going to go through quickly a couple of things. Um, i watched on Disney Plus here in Canada, and in the States it's on Hulu. Uh, It was a while back, but I only recently caught up with it, and that's the uh, Sex Pistols uh, TV show uh, that was just called Pistols, which was uh, six episodes long, and it was based on the book by the guitarist uh, Steve Jones called Lonely Boy. Now Johnny Rotten, a.k.a. uh, Johnny Lydon's real name, uh, quoted it as being the most disrespectful had ever had to endure Uh, so with that i didn't expect any less of an answer from him than that but i had to watch it and uh, i gotta say it had its hits and it had its misses as well and there was more misses than hits on it uh the casting was the biggest problem that i had Uh, the gentleman who played johnny rotten it felt more like a british Sheldon cooper from big bang theory than uh, johnny rotten and that, that got really annoying after a while and uh it, it just it didn't hit the mark i think even if you put the original four members of the sex pistols on this show you wouldn't be able to capture what they they brought uh with music politics fashion it, it just missed the mark for me uh another uh, documentary i watched uh on crave tv here was on uh, rick james called bitchin and uh I I have an obsession with Rick James even though I'm a big metal guy I love Rick James and uh, so I enjoyed seeing all about the costumes and uh, of course you know nowadays you hear about how Snoop Dogg's big on marijuana and Cypress Hill's big on marijuana but Rick James was like the original uh, guy that used to have all kinds of songs about marijuana and so that was uh, quite good and um, it was fun to watch him he he had uh, a lot of his problems uh, that uh, at the end stemmed from the fact that he had a, a, a war with Prince, that Prince was unaware that he was even in with him, but he had a huge time, a uh, hard time dealing with the fact that Prince used to do better sales and better numbers than him, and it really, it drove him crazy. And, uh, of course, at the end, we got to see uh, the infamous uh, Dave Chappelle show uh, mm-hmm. uh, where Charlie Murphy tells a story about, uh, I'm Rick James, bitch, uh, and that, that's basically his legacy there. Uh, Also, as well, I watched another documentary on Ronnie James Dio called Dreamers Never Die. Uh, Now, Ronnie James Dio, if I was to build a uh, Mount Rushmore of heavy metal icons, uh, Ronnie James Dio would be up there with uh, Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, Ozzy, and Rob Halford from Judas Priest. It was a good documentary. Uh, But for someone like myself who just is a sponge for everything heavy metal and reads and looks into and follows everything heavy metal, I really didn't learn anything new. Uh, But it was just nice to see old footage of uh, Ronnie James Dio when he was doing his years with Black Sabbath, when he took over for Ozzy, and of course when he did his solo stuff. So it was good on that level, but I didn't really learn anything exciting or new off of Dio. And uh, as well, big news in the metal world is Metallica uh, announced that they're going to be releasing a new album on April 14th called 27 Seasons and they released a single called Lux Eterna on that day uh, in advance so you can listen to that now and then just tonight a couple hours ago uh, they released a second single called Screaming Suicide that's now available for download and they also announced a two-year world tour where it's called No Repeat Weekends Every time they play, they're going to do a Friday night show and a Sunday night show. And they're going to not do any songs the same on those two nights. So two and a half hours each night. And so you're getting five hours of Metallica every weekend. And I've bought tickets for three different shows. So I'm going to Montreal, Detroit, and Seattle to go see this tour. And Pantera will be the opening act. They're reuniting after 20 years.
0: Greg, you, you know, must be in your glory, man. That's like right in your sweet spot. No
2: kidding. Dude, when they, dude, when they announced it, I, I literally had to leave the office and go scream in my car. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I literally, I, I was so excited and I, I had to contain my enthusiasm and went out into the parking lot and went in my car and just yelled. This, this, is why he, this, this is why you're like our, our
1: resident music expert around here. You love all this stuff.
2: A lot of heavy metal oh, stuff though to, for you. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I love all kinds of music, but heavy metal is my, my jam, as they say. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like me singing is my groove. <laughs> no, please don't. Please don't. All right. So that, that I am um, awful last week. It was
1: that bad last week. It was that, that
2: awful. Dude, I hope to God Chuck D doesn't listen to your podcast because he would be so offended at that version of Fight the Power.
0: That was- <laughs> <laughs>
2: if you were offended by my singing last week, just
1: wait till we get into this podcast this week i got something up my sleeve for you but before we get to oh, that I, I i posted a meme on social media recently about how my kids love talentless youtubers both of my kids watch these youtubers basically playing minecraft and yelling it really sucks let me tell you if you gotta sit around and watch it uh so you know another thing that they do is they watch these youtube videos where all they do is they talk about pokemon cards and like they talk about the different cards, the different series, the inserts, all that sort of stuff. And I was saying to my wife just like how dumb these videos are. And then the other day, I don't know, I had a little bit of quiet time to myself. I was relaxing in the other room. And, and I should mention, by the way, I've been trying to find a set of Star Wars cards from 1977. I collect them as a kid. I kept them until I was an adult when I was like in my 20s and I sold them all. Well, dumbest decision I ever made. So now I want to get them all back. I'm on this like mission. So I go online and I'm searching Star Wars cards from 1977. I say, oh, there's some videos. This is cool. So I start watching these videos and it's these guys talking about the cards and the different series and how they had stickers as inserts. And as I sat there watching these YouTube videos about these collector's cards, I realized I've become my kids. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. Oh, Oh, and one thing that my kids love about me is this. Here's your dad joke of the week. So guys, I thought since we're doing a topic, you know, this week that involves music, I thought I'd do a music related dad joke. Okay. Oh, also I should mention, I got some feedback uh, that when I tell like the dirty jokes on here, that those aren't really dad jokes because dad jokes are supposed to be clean. All right. So, so I got a clean one for you. Okay, so guys, did you know that I once had my picture taken with REM? That's no, me not. in the corner. Oh. Can I, I fall asleep? The song was bad. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should go back to telling the dirty jokes. <laughs> hey, Greg, what do you call a pirate that? I <laughs> should he yell too. G- Gunga. But you get a free um, bowl of soup when you buy a hat. Yeah. You. Cinderella story. Boy, you must have been something before electricity. How would you like to earn eight dollars the hard way? <laughs> you know that Zen Buddhist kind of thing? Mm-hmm. You'll get nothing and like it. Hey, did somebody step on a duck? That would be me. Not the golfers, the golfers! I have a qualified yes, I agree. Hey, so we're going to talk about movies about music and we each put together our top five list we're going to start at number five and work our way up like we usually do greg is our esteemed guest so he's going to kick things off so you want to start us off greg what is your number five movie about music uh
2: my number five uh, pick that i went with was uh 1991 uh oliver stone's the doors mm. uh, yeah i remember going to see that in the theater and uh, I didn't really know a lot about The Doors going into it. Uh, times were different back then for music. Like we didn't have Spotify to allow us to like listen to large amounts of music because we used to have to pay for it back in the day if you wanted to listen to music. So uh, I didn't know a lot about The Doors, but I, I did go because I was keen on doing it. And the one thing that stuck out for me on this is that uh, Val Kilmer, although I'm not a huge fan, he was so good at playing the role of Jim Morrison that you actually forgot that it was Val Kilmer who was playing Jim Morrison. Like it, like, it almost had the same effect. Like, I don't like Al Pacino. I'm not a fan of Al Pacino. But Al Pacino is so good in Scarface that you forget it's Al Pacino. And Val Kilmer had that same effect. He had the same – he had the moves down pat. He had the voice down pat. He had the look down pat. He did an excellent job as Jim Morrison. And the funny thing is is that before Val Kilmer, Oliver Stone had uh, – talked about uh, casting possibly Tom Cruise, uh, Johnny Depp, uh, John Travolta for some weird reason, uh, or Richard Gere as well, uh, were being considered Jim Morrison. And they actually went to Ian Asbury of the the band, The Cult, and offered him the opportunity to be Jim Morrison, but he declined as well. He would have been good. He would have been good. I actually had the opportunity a number of years ago uh, they did a, a like a reunion tour with the the remaining members of the Doors and Ian Asbury actually took over uh for uh, the vocals for Jim Morrison uh to do the tour and it was fantastic like I was disappointed that it didn't go any further than it did and it played very small venues like uh maybe 2500 3000 capacity Uh, Just because, you know, it it wasn't really publicized very much and whatnot. But if they had stuck it out, I think it would have been fantastic. Ian Asbury has a a very good uh, Jim Morrison-sounding voice. Uh, Some other notables in this movie that were uh, good. One of the things I like about Oliver Stone is I find he does a very good job of casting sometimes. And uh, he did a really good job of uh, casting Kyle MacLachlan of uh, Showgirls and uh, uh, Between Peaks fame as uh, Ray Manzarek, and there was a young Kevin Dillon who played uh, the drummer John Densmore. And um, uh, Meg Ryan was in this movie, but I thought she was really not casted very well as uh, Jim's love interest, Pamela Kirsten. And uh, the surprising one that for me was good was Crispin Glover as Andy Warhol. Uh, I enjoyed his part in there. Uh, The only difference that I I had with this movie that I, I kind of, uh, didn't like was after I watched the movie I found out that uh, Oliver Stone took a lot of liberties in telling the story and he exaggerated things uh, to make the film a little more appealing like uh, the scene at the Ed Sullivan show where they told him before he went on oh you you can't use the word higher so we you know can you say maybe like girl things couldn't get much better and in the movie he went up to the camera and he, he like yells the word higher into the camera but in real life that never happened and there's a big scene where they go out into the desert and they take peyote and they're tripping on peyote and, and you know, they come up with all these visions and everything. But uh, that apparently never happened whatsoever. So it was a little disappointing to find out that, you know, some of the highlights of the movie were, you know, exaggerated or never actually really happened. So, But overall, I love The Doors movie because <laughs> uh, the soundtrack to the movie opened up uh, – to a whole new generation of people that had never heard the doors before. And it sort of brought them back into, uh, popularity. They gave a lot of young people who had never had heard of the doors or very, knew very little about them an opportunity to get them to know them a little more.
1: Yeah. I, I never was really into the doors. And then I remember when I was in university, a guy that I knew was really into the doors and would play it all the time. I listened to it and I was like, they're pretty good. Like they're very original, you know they've got a real original style to them uh, that, that was a yeah. pretty good one so a great way to kick us off number five derek for you your number five movie about music what do you got
0: well before i jump into that i just want to say greg mm-hmm. i've never seen the doors uh so maybe i have to give it a shot honestly i'm not a huge fan of their music but um i mean i know the greatest hits and they're not bad but uh i may have to give it a give it a shot there based on your record um so before i get into my list i just want to say so we already did chris you and i did an episode not too long ago about musicals yes and and we sort of define the musical uh you know in the very traditional sense of for no reason whatsoever people just break out into song and it, it usually has nothing to do with the narrative um so there were even a few movies I discussed on that episode that I wanted to include on the list, but I didn't feel they were quote unquote traditional musicals. So I've been able to slot a couple of those onto this list, which is great. But the other thing I tried to avoid with my list is uh, I tried to avoid doing any biopics. So just like Greg was just talking about the doors, obviously based on Jim Morrison and the doors, real bands, real people, obviously some, some liberties might've been taken along the way, but I, I tried to avoid movies like that because, um, I found that was sort of the easy pick. And and honestly, if the if the musician or the band is big enough and has had an important enough um, cultural impact, people probably have already seen all those movies. So I wanted to pick some movies that maybe people hadn't seen or that they, you know, just get you thinking about them again. And honestly, I got a couple of really big ones on here. So those ones are, uh, you know, your, people already have seen those. But the first one I'm going to start with is one that I think people may not be that familiar with. It also came out in 1991, just like The Doors, and it's called The Commitments.
1: Oh, yes. So, that movie was good.
0: Yeah, so this one, uh, for those who maybe aren't familiar, uh, it's based on a book by um, uh, author Roddy Doyle, and uh, which was very, very well received. And um, the movie's about um, a working class community in Ireland, uh, in Dublin, that uh, put together a band that plays soul music. Again, not what you might expect. But the uh, the process of how these these youngsters who uh, are really don't have a lot of prospects going on uh, just based on the economics of the time, uh, they they find uh, some purpose and some hope through music, and uh, and the, the musical numbers are great, and and the movie starts by it starts um, the first part of it's all about like putting the band together, but through it the character you have pretty satisfying character arts from a lot of them, and uh, and and the music's great. It's it's not the kind of music that. That I was listening to, or that I was even really that familiar with. This movie was introduced to me when I was at school by a few uh, a few of my friends, and and I immediately fell in love with it. I bought the DVD, um, I bought the soundtrack. There's actually two soundtracks to The Commitments because it, you know it's a movie where the band does a lot of performing, and they actually have a, a touring band. Um, called The Commitments that that did all the music for the movie that actually had a little bit of a career doing some touring. Uh, the funny thing is, some of the actual musicians are in the movie, but they are doing different roles in the movie than they do in the band. So like, I think the guy who plays the saxophone in the movie is actually the lead singer when they tour and, and stuff like that. So there's still those connections and the band still sounds great. We actually, they came through uh, to Windsor when I would, or it might've even been through to Detroit when we were at school uh, in the nineties. So I had a chance to see them in person and they sounded fantastic. But uh, yeah, the movie, the commitments from 1991, uh, no real big stars uh, in it. Um, but if you, if you're interested in soul music or you just, You know, I would say give it a shot, even if maybe that's not your 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 favorite type of music or you don't think it's your favorite type of music. They do a lot of traditional songs where you're going to go, oh, yeah, I totally know that song. And uh, it's good. They do a great job. The music's numbers are great. And there's a lot of humor in it, too. So um, give that one to give that one a look. The Commitments from 1991. And one of the thing, too,
1: is was in that movie, some of the cover songs that they did, you could argue were even better than the originals. In the Midnight Hour and Mustang Sally jumped out to me from that movie. Oh
0: yeah, Mustang Sally by The oh, Commitments, God, that's, that's, that's so a go-to. Yes, yeah, so that's what good. sold me. I was like, my friend, my friends basically said, listen so to this cool. CD and these songs in particular, and if you dig them, we'll watch the movie. And we did. And then, you know, a year later when they were coming around, someone's like, you want to go see them? I'm like, absolutely. So. No, so good. That's a good one. Okay, to
1: the surprise of no one, I'm going to take us back in time. Back to the year 1984. And let me tell you, back in the year 1984, you couldn't talk music without mentioning <laughs> prepare for it, breakdancing. So not only is this movie about breakdancing, it's a sequel of a movie that came out earlier in the same year. So you just know they didn't rush this out. <laughs> you know, they took their time crafting this amazing piece of art. <laughs> and not only that it's got one of the greatest titles in motion picture history. Yes. I'm talking about break into electric boogaloo. So (laughs) for Christmas this past year, I said that I wanted a break into electric boogaloo t-shirt. I didn't get one. It'll, It'll be back on my list next year. Let me tell you. So break into electric boogaloo is about three break dancers, special K ozone and turbo And what they're trying to do is stop this developer from putting in a shopping mall where the community center is. And I I also love how the movie is called Break Into Electric Boogaloo because it's named after the guy that plays Turbo. So in real life, his name was Boogaloo Shrimp. So the title's not even about one of the character's names. It's about the actor's real name. And if you think about it, that's like... That's like making a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark and calling it Harrison Ford and the Temple of Doom. Like, it's so (laughs)
0: stupid. Like, it's so bad.
1: But anyway, if if you like the 80s and you like campy, cheesy stuff as much as I do, you will appreciate this mess that is Break Into Electric Boogaloo. And besides, you know what? It's fun to say Break Into Electric Boogaloo. You know, I remember when Mike Myers was making a sequel to Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, he wanted to call it Austin Powers 2, Electric Boogaloo. And the studio <laughs> shot him down, wouldn't let him do it. But he just has a little bit of a tip of the cap to this like, sort of 80s, you know, uh, pop culture icon that is. And so that's my number five. All right, so number four, over to you, Greg, what do you got?
2: All right, I'm, I'm it's gonna It's a hard act to up. follow, buddy. <laughs> it, is, it is hard to follow. Oh man, I, I would have actually thought that would have been number 1 for somebody, but uh I'm going to go with uh, the uh, the 2000 release uh from Cameron Crowe of uh, Almost Famous. Mm. Good pick. I I enjoyed the uh, You know, it it's surprisingly really good. Like I I did some research on it and uh amazingly Roger Ebert uh actually picked that as his film of the year. Uh that oh, wow. year it came out yeah, I was really surprised, and then it got an Academy Award nomination as well for uh, best original screenplay. So uh, I, I enjoy Cameron Crowe. I think he always does a fantastic job of casting people, and I thought he did a fantastic job here. It's a, it's an autobiographical, semi autobiographical movie because uh, back in the day, uh, Cameron Crowe, uh, as a teenager, was able to fool Rolling Stone magazine, and he followed around the Allman Brothers. Uh, in writing a, a story about going on tour with the Allman Brothers. So, in this movie, you got a character named William Miller who is able to fool Rolling Stone magazine. And he goes around and follows the band Stillwater uh, all across America on their uh, tour. And, and uh, again, he befriends uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who plays uh, the famous uh, music critic Lester Bangs. And he gives him the ever important uh, message of, um don't become friends with the band and william unfortunately doesn't follow that rule and he becomes friends with the band and through that uh you you find that everybody that's in this movie finds themselves to be not the person that they could be they could be better people than who they are and they're just using their music to cover up uh you know their their true uh, who they really are and, and and brings them out. I thought that uh, he casted some fantastic people in here, uh, especially uh, Kate Hudson, who played the... Uh, well, she didn't want to be called a groupie. She wanted to be called the Band-Aid. Uh, she played Penny Lane. Uh, I had mentioned more, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, playing Lester Bangs. Uh, there was also some appearances in there really briefly uh, by Jimmy Fallon, uh, Peter Frampton... Uh, Rain Wilson from The Office. Uh, he played uh, Rolling Stone publisher David Felton, uh, who was also with uh, Ben Funk Torres, who we uh, we talked about on an episode mm-hmm. before and watched a documentary on him. And uh, I really enjoyed um, Billy Crudup. He uh, played the role of uh, Russell Hammond, uh, the guitarist for Stillwater. And uh, originally that role was casted with Brad Pitt, And uh, they started working with Brad Pitt. And after a few weeks, they realized it wasn't the right fit. And uh, he decided he didn't want to do the project. So uh, Billy Crudup, I think that's his name. Billy Crudup, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Yep. He he left and uh, Billy Brad Pitt left. He came in and took over. And uh, Cameron Crowe, who is married to Nancy Wilson from Hart, he got Nancy Wilson, Peter Frampton, and Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, uh, to help write the Stillwater songs that appear on the soundtrack. Um, also in this movie is an appearance by Eric Stonestreet, who's in Modern Family, he plays Cameron. And uh, he was the check-in clerk at the hotel in New York, who uh, uh, says, your mom scares me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was played by uh, Frances McDormand, who did a fantastic job as uh, the mother in this movie, uh, Elaine Miller. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought the soundtrack was fantastic as well. If you enjoy uh, '70s classic rock, it's uh, really good, uh, and I recommend checking it out.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned it was nominated for some Academy Awards. It also won some too, because um, Kate Hudson won for Best Supporting Actress for that movie. Oh, did she? Yeah, she won, and I'm glad you mentioned Cameron Crowe because you know he holds a special part place in my heart because he was the one that originally wrote the uh, the, the 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 screenplay for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And so, so, so he always, you know, I always think of him for that. And you mentioned Nancy Wilson, how he was married to her in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He actually cast her in that movie. She has a really small part. Remember in the scene where Brad is driving and he's wearing like the the Captain Hook uniform and he's got the the hat on and the girl, the the hot girl in the, in the, in the the fancy car beside him. That was uh, Nancy Wilson playing that part
2: so oh wow Yep, yeah. i didn't know that yeah so i'm glad
1: you mentioned that That's a good one
2: all
0: right you so see your number four derek uh what do you got for us movie yeah, about i was music. gonna say uh almost famous was actually my number six pick if we were doing a number top six list so greg i'm glad it made it on the list because i just squeaked it out of mine so I, I i agree with everything you said it's a great movie and honestly i haven't watched it in a long time so it might be a good time to go back and rewatch it i'm just gonna watch all the movies on greg's list here he's just gonna give me five great movies i'm gonna go watch them all this week you're not is that
1: you saying you're not gonna watch break into electric Bulu?
0: uh you may actually believe this or not i've watched that in the last six months it comes up on my 80s movie channel a lot
2: awesome it is is on off and it's not hard to find yeah exactly
0: and there must be like some canadian stars in it or something because it must satisfy a canadian content requirement and that's probably why we get it so often here in canada Hmm. I don't think uh, Ice
1: Key is in it, but I didn't know. So,
0: so my uh, my number four pick is a movie that I wanted to include in my musicals list when we did the last episode, Mm -hmm. but I realized wasn't technically musical. Uh, It's from a pretty new one from 2018, big movie, "A Star Is Born," the one starring uh, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Sam Elliott, written and directed by Bradley Cooper, um, nominated for a ton of Oscars, uh, had a lot of success when it came out a few years back. Uh, Now, "A Star Is Born." has been remade numerous times i think this is its fourth incarnation if i remember correctly probably yeah. uh greg remind me we had to watch the original back at university didn't we yep. from like the with 30s judy or yes yeah yes.
2: With, with judy garland yeah we did we watched it in fourth year
0: yeah yeah so i mean yeah. the movie's got uh the movie's got a legacy obviously when you remake a movie you know 20 years apart from the one before it you obviously need to make some changes but uh the theme is still there where it's uh you know, a young person who has a tremendous amount of talent, who just needs an opportunity is granted that opportunity by a successful musician. Uh, a love story ensues. And then, you know, things go from there. Uh, I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast are aware of this movie. Uh, I'm sure many of them have seen it. I, this is one of, uh, one of the ones where I, when I see it, come on, if it's on HBO or something, I actually tend to watch it, especially the first 45 minutes I find are just incredibly solid. I find the, the 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 slow decline of uh, Bradley Cooper's character gets harder and harder to watch with each revisit. But that's the whole point of the movie As as one star is rising, another one is falling. The music is great. It's all original music for this. It's not um, it's not like when they re-release something like Chicago and it's like, well, we're just going to do all the same songs, you know, from Chicago. And we're just going to make it with new performers. It's like this is all new music uh i believe lady gaga probably wrote most if not all of the music she certainly sings most of the music in this thing but bradley cooper actually does a lot of the singing himself in this one as well and it's always nice when you have uh, uh the performers actually singing their own songs i think that was one of the big uh well i don't want to say failings about the queen movie but no one's going to sound like freddie mercury so you kind of have to have to put his voice over top of whoever's performing it whereas in a movie like this the performer you know you just you cast musicians and that way it sounds great and uh so this one uh again we've we predetermined not a musical but definitely a movie about music and sort of thematically similar to the one i just talked about where it's sort of getting the band together it's all about the rising star of of performers who have a substantial amount of talent and uh finding their finding their talent finding their confidence hitting their stride and um yeah Stars born from 2018 that's my number four pick
1: and you guys had to watch the one with judy garland for film
0: school you said Yeah, Greg and I took a lot of communications classes together at university, and and many of them we had to do, like, uh, critical examinations of film, and uh, I think that was the same one where we watched the original Scarface as well, and Blade Runner, and some Bergman films, like, we watched a lot of eclectic things. Nice, because that Judy Garland one wasn't even the first one, there was one
1: before it in 37. That came out and then one came out in the 70s with barbara streisand
0: i remember that too so, so. chris christopherson that yes. one had the gender reversal where she was famous and he was the up-and-comer right it's like yeah so exactly. you're gonna remake it you got to put your own spin on it so right. i think I've actually i think i've seen all the versions of this movie okay, so. okay so my number four i'm going with, again I'm, I'm
1: pulling out some weird ones for you i'm going back to 1978 with a movie called thank god it's friday okay So let me set this up. Derek, I've mentioned before, my family moved to Maracaibo, Venezuela when I was nine years old and we lived there for a year with no English language TV, no English language movie theaters. We had this early prototype VCR and like a handful of movies. We had Piranha, Jaws 2, Smokey and the Bandit, A Man Called Horse, and thank God it's Friday. That's all I had to watch was these five movies. So I just watched them over and over and over again. So Thank God It's Friday has always had a special place in my heart as a result of this. Now, if Break 2 Electric Boogaloo was all about a music fad in the 80s, breakdancing, Thank God It's Friday is all about a music fad from the 70s, guess what? Disco. So Thanks. it's about a bunch of different people who all go to this big disco club on a Friday night. And all the things that kind of go on and happen to them, but it's got a bunch of actors in it who actually went on to other things. There's Jeff Goldblum was in it, and Donna Summer and Deborah Winger and Terry Nunn. Um, I don't know if you remember her, but she was actually a finalist for the part of Princess Leia, and then she went on to become the lead singer for the band Berlin. Remember that you take my breath yep. away. that's song,
0: take my breath away, Berlin. Yeah. yeah.
1: So this movie's probably best known for the song "Last Dance" by Donna Summer. Which not only was this massive, huge hit back then, but it actually won the Academy Award for Best Original Song from 1978 from this movie. It beat out Hopelessly Devoted to You from Greece. So, I mean, this this song was big. But I got to tell you, like when I was nine years old, I watched this movie over and over and over again because I didn't have much choice, obviously. But admittedly, it's not a very good movie. But it's always had a very, very special place in my heart. So I'm going to go with, thank God it's Friday as my number four. So, all right, that's my, my number three. Greg, what have you got?
2: Well, I was originally going to go with um, uh, the uh, NWA uh, uh, biopic rap movie, Straight Outta Compton. But uh, my girlfriend talked me out of it. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 you got you to gotta do something that... Uh, more people will uh, uh, appreciate. And I love this movie. You got to talk about it. So uh, for number three, I, I went with Eight Mile uh, the, with Eminem. Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I sang a song took... from that movie last week. Yeah, please. I don't know what we Do call that. You know, singing. <laughs> We don't need to hear it again, man. (laughs) We're fine. Thank you. No problem. Uh, Yes. But um, one of the reasons I I enjoyed this movie was, uh, as Derek had been mentioning, uh, him and I uh, went to the University of Windsor uh, back in the early 90s, mid-90s, and... um, Windsor's not far from Detroit. If you, for those of you that aren't sure geographically, it's literally a five-minute drive from the University of Windsor to downtown Detroit. And while I was uh, there, I used to go to. And you kinds almost of grew up on Eight right? Mile. Yeah, well, it, literally, there were a few times I had to cross Eight Mile to get to the State Theater to go see concerts. So yeah, it uh, it wasn't too far. But uh, while we were there, like we were at a, a time where the Detroit music scene was was getting ready to take off. Uh, on any given night, you could go see a show, and they'd always put local bands on there. And the local bands at the time uh, that were going on there, there was the Insane Clown Posse, uh, Kid Rock, uh, the White Stripes were just starting to take off when we were getting, uh, when we were graduating. And I still remember the first time I got to see Eminem. Uh, I was working at the radio station, And they asked me to go hand out flyers at a Wu-Tang Clan concert. And Eminem happened to be one of the opening bands uh, for the uh, Wu-Tang Clan. And again, I was like absolutely floored that you had this uh, white kid at a Wu-Tang Clan show and everybody there loved him. And he went off and he was that good. And he was really impressive. But uh, back to the movie. (laughs) So uh, basically Eminem plays uh, Jimmy Smith, who goes by the nickname Rabbit. And he's trying to make it into the world of hip-hop that's predominantly uh, African-Americans. And he uh, is trying to be accepted as a a white rapper while also battling uh, self-confidence and stage fright. Uh, It actually did, uh, respectable at the box office, it did uh, $242.9 million worldwide. And it was also an Academy Award winner for... uh, uh, the version of Lose Yourself, the original version, not the 2003, uh, 2023 uh, Chris McBride <laughs> version, but the original version in 2003. Uh, it, it won that. And uh, it also had some notable uh, performances by Kim Bassinger, who played Eminem's mother. Uh, the late Brittany Murphy was in this movie, and she played his love interest, Alex. Uh, Anthony Mackey, who's in the Marvel Universe as the Falcon. Uh, he played Papa Doc. And um, uh, the character of Greg, who is Kim Basinger's abusive alcoholic uh, boyfriend, was played by Mike Shannon, who is, is uh, was in The Shape of Water. That was not. I think he was nominated uh, for his role in the uh, movie The Shape of Water. Uh, and originally, they wanted Quentin Tarantino to uh, direct this movie, but he just really didn't think it was his style to do. And the character of uh, Eminem's little uh, quirky, kind of weird friend Cheddar Bob. Uh, they had approached uh, Seth Rogen uh, to be playing the role of uh, Cheddar Bob, and uh, but that didn't pan out. Uh, but again, it was a good movie in the sense that uh, even if you're not into hip hop, uh, you can still enjoy this movie. You don't have to be a hip hop fan to enjoy the movie. And I actually thought uh, it went to show that uh, Eminem could actually, uh, you know do acting as well as hip hop. He was really good in this. He normally I find sometimes when real musicians try to act, it doesn't work, but he pulled it off. As a rapper myself. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought. I was yeah. Good. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Good pick. I
0: mean gift wrapping, right? Chris, like at Christmas time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Derek, Derek, what's, what's your number three? Oh,
0: uh, so I know I said I, I don't have any biopics on here, so I, I sort of cheated, because this one is but isn't a biopic, and this may be colored by recency bias, but this movie came out last year, and only recently last year, and I and we just talked about it recently, and it's weird, the Al Yankovic story. Well, that's now, a good one. I know that a lot of people probably haven't seen this yet, but I know a lot of people that have. So I'm going to try to keep it spoiler free a little bit, but I do have to spoil a tiny bit. So if you haven't seen this and you're worried about spoilers, just skip ahead like two minutes. So the reason I've got this on my list is it's not a for real biopic. It's a total satire. And that to me made it 10 times better than it would have been. if it was just a real life biopic about Al Yankovic and you have Daniel Radcliffe playing weird Al, Harry Potter as weird Al has to be some of the best casting that's happened in years. And he just totally, Gets it. And this movie is so much fun. It's funny, but it's musical. And just the fact that Al Yankovic has had a career for 40 years doing parodies of popular songs and that his parodies have become a part of pop culture. Like everybody knows who Weird Al is. It doesn't matter what kind of music you like or listen to. You know Weird Al. There's got to be a Weird Al song that you like, whether it's because it parodies your favorite song or maybe because it parodies a song you hate and you think that he's got a version that's better than this other song you don't like. Uh, there's just there's just so much, so much greatness in this movie. The fact that this guy has had a career where he hasn't been involved in any controversy, there's never been any sex scandals or drunk driving accidents or anything like that, and then they put out this movie where it's like they make him the most ridiculous, badass, cool, awesome guy that's ever lived this movie's just great and the fact that the music is just intertwined into it makes it that much more interesting and that much more fun so i had to put this on the list yes there's recency bias here i don't know if we did this topic two or three years from now this would be on the list but i kind of felt that the list wouldn't be wouldn't be complete without it so i had to put this on there weird the al yankovic story now streaming on Roku. Got to
1: check it out. Yeah, who cares if it's recency bias? You got to go with your strengths. And one of my strengths, as you know, is rap music. So I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. You. Oh, I'm like, where's he going with <laughs> No, this? No, my number three. But the last one that I mentioned was about disco. So I'm uh, going back to the the well here. Boy, you guys are going to hate me. The thing is, I think it's, it's easy to slough off anything related to disco, you know, and because disco has got such a bad rap, you know, and, and rightly so. I mean, Greg, you know, disco sucks but one thing that i will mention from the disco era that was actually quite good was saturday night fever from 1977. this movie could have been this dumb cheesy movie about the nightlife in the world of disco but it's not like it's 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 there's so much going on in this movie it's really it's about young people and 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 how you know young people strive for their own identity and they just want a chance to be something and 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 the movie takes this gritty and realistic look at, at the relationship between men and women especially back in the 70s when there was this tendency to look at women as sex objects and especially in the Italian-American subculture like it's like I say it's gritty Travolta I thought was great in it uh, really different from sort of Vinnie Bobarino that he did on Welcome Back Hotter and the songs by the Bee Gees captured the imagination of an entire generation uh, the disco really caught fire at that point. and. You know me i love old movies i love old pop culture and regardless of what you think about disco and i mean it kind of sucks right but saturday night fever i think remains an important part of pop culture history so now i should point out two of my movies are about disco so i might get blacklisted from podcasting at this point especially being a well-known rapper and all but uh, that's what i'm going with so my number two or your number 2 oh I'll, I'll flip things over to greg what do you got
2: I actually thought you were going to segue into that uh, movie with Steve Gutenberg and the village people. Oh Um, (laughs) yeah. Can't stop the music. I was like, Oh man, you know what? I'm like, I can't believe I overlooked that. And then you went Saturday night fever. I'm like, yeah, that's a much better choice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, for my, for my number three pick, I, I, or uh, number two, I'm sorry, uh, where we're at. I really, really tried to stay away from um, documentaries, (laughs) uh, music documentaries. Cause like like Derek, uh, for 40 Days and 40 Nights, Greg watches music documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one I, I have to mention because it, it, to me, it's more than just your usual, typical documentary. And I didn't think any musical documentary could top the Rolling Stones' uh, Give Me Shelter, which is about the uh, the incidents at... Uh, oh, man, the, the, the name's escaping me now because I was uh, talking too much. There. Altamont? Uh, Altamont, thank you very much. Yeah. The incidents at Altamont. And uh, that documentary was fantastic. But then I had an opportunity to go to a documentary film festival here in Toronto back in 2004. And uh, I got to see uh, Metallica's Some Kind of Monster, uh, which is uh, directed by uh, Joe Bellinger and Bruce uh, Sanofsky, uh, who did uh, uh, another documentary called Paradise Lost, which is about the story about the West Memphis Three. And the band really enjoyed that documentary. And they brought them on. To do a thing where they were going to film them recording their new album and turn it into a late-night infomercial to try and uh, you know uh, do publicity for the new album coming out, and before you knew it, it turned into a whole thing where uh, while they were filming uh, this document, well, not this documentary, this promo video. Uh, for late night TV. Uh, The whole incident with Napster uh, came up where they were suing uh, fans for downloading their music. Uh, The bassist in the band, Jason Newstead, he quit the band and the lead singer, James Hetfield, he decided he had enough and he wanted to go into rehab. And all before that happened, there was a Playboy magazine article that came out in November of 2000 where they interviewed the band and each band member did their own individual uh, interview. And every band member had nothing nice to say about the other band members and the direction <laughs> the band was going. So it was the band was in true turmoil and it was literally almost over. Like we almost did not have any more Metallica uh, after that. And so you're watching this documentary and they bring in uh, a therapist that went under the title of performance enhancement coach, uh, Phil Talley and they were paying him $40,000 a month to work with the band as a therapist to try and and get them to back onto the same page and work together as a unit and uh it turned out that he kind of got way too involved in it where he was starting to try and contribute lyrics to songs <laughs> and yeah, and he was moving his family out to California so that it could be closer to the band and things like that. And so it turned into watching uh the band basically fall apart and almost uh call it a day, to basically getting back on the same page, recording what is probably their worst album ever. And and then but the fans stuck with them, the fans stuck by their side and you had weird things going on like the lead singer James Hetfield when he came out of rehab he was only allowed to work four hours a day in the afternoons and he you weren't allowed to work on the album anytime he wasn't there so the album took forever to come out because they could only work on it for four hours a day and uh, there was a scene in there where uh, Lars Ulrich uh, the drummer he sold off all his art that he collected over the years for 13.4 million dollars and so, yeah, and the band actually didn't want to show that scene because they thought it would just, it just showed the excess greed. And he fought for it to stay in there. And uh, as well, uh, when they signed their new bassist, uh, just for signing, they gave him a million dollars right off the bat. Here's a check for a million dollars. Thanks for joining the band. So it, it went to show, I, I find that it, it peeled back the curtain on Metallica and it showed them for being more than just a band they, they literally are a corporation like it, it's it's it, it's 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 so big it's bigger than the music it's bigger than the band and this documentary just goes to show you that how much time and effort and stress and everything that goes into making an album just to make us fans happy the, the levels they have to go to for it and uh, i enjoyed it i thought it was great uh you don't really have to be a a metallica fan to enjoy the movie but it does help
1: i think being the big heavy metal fan that you are no big surprises with your pick you know unlike yeah, know. myself you know being the rapper that i am bringing out all these disco songs you know it's a little bit you know unlike me but that that, that doesn't surprise me at all that's a pretty good pick so
0: what's your number two derek what do you got so greg just talked about a documentary featuring arguably one of the best battle bands ever i'm going to talk about a movie that features arguably one of the best popular bands ever and that's the beatles and the movie is yesterday from 2019 Hmm. so this is directed by danny boyle and uh it stars hamish patel uh, it's got um, uh, guest appearances by Ed Sheeran and Kate McKinnon. And it's uh, it's a pretty light movie. The premise uh, is basically this, uh, this young musician who's trying to start out, uh, is not having much luck, and he's ready to give up. And then he has a bicycle accident, and when he wakes up, the world has never heard of the Beatles, yet he still remembers all the Beatles songs and all the words to all the Beatles songs. And because he's a musician, he decides to take advantage of this fact, and he starts releasing all of the Beatles songs today, as if he had written them, because why wouldn't you? Nobody else has heard the Beatles before. And, you know, it, it really part of the part of the point, part of the fun of the movie is that the, although the Beatles released all their their songs in the 60s, so much of the music is so universal and stands the test of time. And the subject matter is so um you know, non-controversial and so relevant to so many people that it still works today. Some of the songs like the, the topics just seem so innocent on, on their face value. Um, you, you know, the, the tunes are familiar. Uh, well, I mean, if you've never heard them before, they're not familiar, but they're um, just, you, it really, really builds a new appreciation for the for the Beatles music. And they, they wrap it around this sort of fantastic premise. Uh, the ending of the movie fell a little flat for me, unfortunately, um, but the ride getting there was pretty good. I like this movie. It's It's been on uh, reruns recently on TV. I've had a chance to watch it again in the last couple of months. And uh, this is another one where they could have very easily just um, dubbed over the actual Beatles songs. But uh, the performer in the movie actually does the vocals and he does a pretty damn good job. And uh, it's it's just it's a fun movie and it's a good excuse to to hear some more Beatles songs. So. I had to put it on the list again. Maybe a little recency bias just because it's it's been on uh it's been on cable so much lately, but um it's it's a staple for me. I really enjoy this one. And if any any list we're going to put together music's about, movies about music, I think this one has to be on there. If for no other reason, then you get a great Beatles soundtrack out of it. So from 2019 yesterday.
1: Nice. Okay, so for my number 2, I'm going back to the 80s. No big shocker there. I'm going to back to 1984 sure. with Footloose. So I saw this movie in the movie theater back when I was 14 years old and I loved it then I I still love this movie they did a remake a while back I didn't see it I'm sure it sucked the original though is just so good I I love how it's not a musical but music is at the core of this film obviously all of the best scenes in this movie feature music in some way i love when chris penn is learning how to dance i just love that scene it's so good i think the cast in this movie is great kevin bacon and laurie singer and chris penn obviously sarah jessica parker even the parents john lithgow and diane wiest they're just amazing Uh, even the actors who play like the people in town you know at the town hall meetings and stuff so good and, and the music in this movie it's used in small ways too like there's a scene when Ren's driving around town and he's listening to metal health by quiet riot and the cops pull him over I, I, this movie's got music there's dancing there's there's an original story it's got a great cast i can watch it over and over and over again and i have <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's my number two so greg what's your number one movie about music
2: my number one movie about music, and I don't think there's going to be any movie that comes along ever for the rest of the days that will ever top 1984's This Is Spinal Tap. Yes. I absolutely Yes, yes I love yes. this movie. There are very few movies that I can quote word for word, line for line, and it is fantastic. And the DVD is only better because it comes with commentary, and the commentary is – the, the actors, but they're in the role of the band. And my God, the commentary on the DVD is hilarious. This movie is fantastic. It's actually recognized by the Library of Congress in 2002 for being culturally, historically significant. And it was selected by the National Film Registry for preservation. That's, that's how good it is. And the amazing part of it is, is that this movie, they basically said, you know what? Here's the premise of the movie and they improvised the lines. There was no script. They just improvised for hours and hours and hours, and they went through the footage, and they just found the funniest stuff. And to this day, I don't think there's probably a week that goes by where I don't make one Spinal Tap reference. And uh, it, it's absolutely hilarious. They put out their album, uh, Smell the Glove, which uh, has controversy because it's uh, the album covers a uh, – uh, a naked woman on all fours uh, with a dog leash on, uh, mm-hmm. being forced to smell a glove by the band. And they say, you can't have that as an album cover. It's too sexist. Uh, to which uh, Nigel Tufnell replies, what's wrong with being sexy? And <laughs> oh, <laughs> so geez. they decide they can't use that as an album cover. So they put it out as a album cover that's just entirely black. And in 1991, Metallica puts out an album where the front cover is just entirely black. (laughs) So. They didn't even give credit to Spinal
0: Tap, Metallica. What's wrong with you?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, where's the credit, man? And of course, you have the infamous Stonehenge scene where they put on the drawing 18 quotation marks, meaning they wanted it to be 18 feet. And Angelica Houston designs a Stonehenge that's 18 inches and you get the famous line of, I think the problem was tonight is that Stonehenge was endangered of being crushed by dwarves. <laughs> he trod upon dwarves by danced around uh, Stonehenge. <laughs> also as well, when they show up at the amusement park and the marquee says puppet show with spinal tap. <laughs> uh, so uh, I thought this movie was fantastic. And, uh, If you're a heavy metal fan and you have not seen this movie, uh, you have to see it, especially the part where they do the reviews of their albums. And he says to them, uh, uh, your album based on uh, a religion, rock and roll creation. One has to ask what day did the Lord create Spinal Tap? And couldn't he have rested on that day too? And then for Sark Sandwich, merely a two word review, which simply read sandwich. <laughs> so, <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic. I, again, I don't know very many movies where I know every line in and out, back and forth and can quote the whole movie, but this is spinal tap is definitely it. If you have not seen it, just see it and watch it multiple times because every time you watch it, you're going to find something funny in it. The, the This time that you didn't catch the first 35, 40 times that you've seen it fantastic movie highly recommend oh
1: my god and it's one of my favorites of all time and i've seen it as much as i've seen almost any other movie but having you come on the show i knew i had to step aside and let you because i knew that would be on your list especially probably
2: be a number one and it was so that's a great pick derek absolutely love it there's actually there's actually, hold on, there's actually yeah. a point where judas priest a number of years ago put out a double album of the life of nostradamus Every song was about Nostradamus, and everybody's comment, everybody's comment was, my God, what possessed them to have this spinal tap moment? (laughs) <laughs> and I think I think that any band regardless if you're heavy metal
1: or not can relate to this film in some way because they've all had those moments where they've had their ups and downs and they're doing some gig somewhere where they're not the top bill or like you know it's like puppet show and spinal tap and it's and, or, or they're they're, they're um, the, the, the one scene where his um his wireless thing for his guitar is not working or this doesn't happen or this doesn't like it's just so so good and and I mean and there, there was a whole string of movies you know when uh, rob reiner in the 80s where he was just on top of his game but it all started with this and, and not only that it also like led to a whole bunch of mockumentaries coming out as being like a sub-genre of film all
2: because of this movie you know so good yeah great i highly recommend it you gotta see it gotta see it gotta see it
1: all right derek what do you got for your number one right. movie about music
0: So I I, honestly, I thought Chris was going to have this is spinal tap Mm -hmm. on his movie since it's right in his sweet spot of 1984. So that was the only reason it wasn't on my list. I didn't feel the need to double it up because I knew he was going to talk about it. So I mean, he, and he still might, we don't know what his number one pick is, but Greg, great pick. Glad you had it on your list. And now I really don't feel bad for not having it on mine. Uh, That's a tough act to follow. And I don't know if mine is, is nearly in the caliber of this is spinal tap. It's just a fun movie about music that I enjoy a lot. It's from 1996. It's called that thing you do. Written, directed, and starring Tom Hanks. Uh, it also stars Tom Everett Scott, uh, Steve Zahn, Liv Tyler. Uh, it's got a lot of people in it where you go, "Oh, I know that guy, but I don't know his name." And this is a um, this is a look at. Uh, I think it's supposed to be like the late 50s, early 60s. And it's a band, uh, you know, a local band that's trying to make it big. And uh, early in the movie, they have to reach out to uh, to uh, find a new drummer because their drummer breaks his arm doing something stupid. And what's supposed to be like this slow love ballad, the, the drummer decides, you know what, this would be better as an upbeat, tempo song. And so he plays the song a lot faster and it becomes a huge hit. And so it's basically the song about. It's a movie about a one-hit wonder. It's a band who has this one really good song that that gets into heavy rotation, and the song is actually really good. And and that was one of the things I, I've I've heard some interviews and read some things about the movie is they said, look, if the movie's gonna revolve around a band that's a one-hit wonder band and you're going to hear the song multiple times throughout the course of the movie, the song has to be good. It has to be catchy. It has, You have to be able to sing along to it. You have to be, you know, be able to find the melody pleasing because if the, you don't believe that the song could be a hit, the movie's not going to, not going to work. And the movie works great. The song is great. It's memorable. Um, there's a lot of great lines in this movie and um again it's like so many of the other ones on my list it's it's young people trying to make it big trying to have confidence they have some success they go on tour they see what it can be like and uh and ultimately it's the same story as as so many real life musical stories where some people in the band start to think well i'm the reason this band is is magical and i'm better than everybody else so i'm going to do my own thing you have other people who are like I'm here just cause I'm having a good time. But as soon as something better comes along, I'm going to go like one guy joins the army and one guy goes back to run, uh, you know, his dad work in his dad's hardware store. It's uh, it's just an interesting look at, uh, at a different time, right? Because it takes place 50, 60 years ago and things were just, it was a different time in America and the music scene was different. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of these movies that you want to want to sort of go, well, wow, it's good, clean and wholesome. I mean, it's maybe not that good, clean and wholesome, but that's the era they're trying to depict. And, uh, I mean, you know, Tom Hanks, you're familiar with the kind of work he, he did in the eighties, nineties and two thousands. Like this was his, his directorial debut. And, um, the, uh, the, the, company that the band signs with in the course of the movie is called Playtone Records. And uh Tom Hanks actually named his movie production company Playtone. So like to this day, movies that he does are, are produced by Playtone. So a little bit of a wink wink there. Um yeah, I mean this is one of those ones. When it comes on, I watch it. When I know that they're coming up to one of the numbers where they're gonna have a chance to do the song again. I watch it and every time I watch this movie, I start singing and humming the song for days on end. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely not Metallica. It's definitely not Spinal Tap. It's definitely not the Beatles. It's uh it's like that sort of 50, 60 sort of bubblegum pop kind of sound. And it's uh, it puts you in a happy mood every time you hear it. So. That thing you do is my number one pick. All
1: right. So my number one, Derek, I was going to go with the Blues Brothers from 1980. And then then you and I got talking and you're like, you can't use that one because you use that on your musicals one. Because there's that one scene in the diner where they break into song. So it's almost like a musical. So I include it as a musical. And I still was like, oh, I think I should include this. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I just love that movie so much, and like like just just last night you texted me and you were like, "Hey, The Blues Brothers is on TV." So I watched The Blues Brothers last night.
0: So it. did I, man, <laughs> start to finish.
1: But you know, you're you're right. I used it there on our musical, sh- you know, show. So I so I really can't dip dip into the well, you know, twice on this one. So I had to do something again, and I thought, you know, there is there's one movie that's very personal to me, and it's it's about music, and I mean. I know, Derek, you're not a huge Beatles fan, but I always was. I love the Beatles. And back in 1976, Saturday Night Live was becoming a big thing. And it was it was making stars out of the people that were on it and stuff. And, and it was becoming so big that Lorne Michaels at the time, you know, he had a pretty big ego. And he thought, okay, our show is so big that we can get the Beatles to reunite and come and play on Saturday Night Live. But you know they just couldn't get it to happen. They tried and tried and tried, and it just didn't happen. So what they did instead was they played, they 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 played this videotape on a show in 1976 on Saturday Night Live. And it was from not from the Beatles, but from the Ruttles. Oh. And it was this like spoof of the Beatles. And it was so good and such a hit with the with the audience that they actually went ahead and made a full feature length movie. And it's like a mockumentary, you know, before Spinal Tap and stuff. This came out in 1978 and it's called The Ruttles. I absolutely love, 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 love this movie. And it features Eric Idle, Neil Innes, Ricky Fattar and John Halsey as Ron Nasty Stig and Barry. And they're basically this group, like the Beatles, called the Ruttles. But the thing is, not just being like a spoof of the Beatles, it was so good on its own merit that the songs that they did, and Neil Lennon pretty much did all the songs himself. He wrote all the songs and and did a lot of the performance. He was kind of like the the John Lennon character in it. These songs are so good. They stand up on their own. I still have a CD of the Ruttles in my car and I listen to it on a regular basis. And I would encourage you, if you can find it out there somewhere, it's really hard to find, I think on the streaming services and stuff, but it is so good. If there's a documentary that came out in 1982 called The Complete Beatles, and it, it really tells the story of the Beatles. And if you watch that and then you watch the Ruttles, which came out before it, the Ruttles is almost a shot for shot remake of that movie. You know, it's like a documentary of the Beatles, but it's they're called the Ruddles and all the things that they go through and stuff. This movie is absolutely fantastic. And because it had its sort of genesis in Saturday Night Live, a lot of the Saturday Night Live cast members from the original cast appear in the movie. John Belushi's in it. Gilda Radner's in it. Dan Aykroyd's in it. And not only that, they were able to get like famous musicians to come in like, um, uh, Paul Simon is in it and uh, Mick Jagger makes an appearance and they're all talking about oh you know I was in you know I started the the, the Rolling Stones but the Ruddles were the band that we were all inspired by and it was just so good and so I don't know if, if either of you have ever seen it Derek have you ever seen the Ruddles or even heard I of never it never even heard of it no never I'm just looking it, it, it
0: up now I was like wow I've never
2: seen this or heard of this uh Greg yeah I, I, I used to, uh, yeah I saw it on much music back in the day much music used to play uh movies all the time uh, is, back in the late 80s. so anybody you,
1: you're listening to this, you never heard of it or whatever. Just just go and look it up. The Ruttles, it is absolutely phenomenal, and it's always been a personal favorite of mine. And then I remember, you know, years later, you know, went by, and I, I met my wife, and we got married, and then I got to know her, some of her family, and there was members of her family that just loved the Beatles. And then I mentioned one day about the Ruddles, and they're like, oh, my God, we love the Ruddles! Like, they love the Ruddles almost as much as the Beatles. And I was like, oh, see, I'm not the only one. So there's other people. But that's my number one movie about music, the Ruddles." So I went a little bit of a different way on you, Derek. You thought I was no going to go with the Blues Brothers. But uh, I, I really like the Ruddles a lot. So mm-hmm. I mean, there we go. We did it. We broke down our top five. That's a uh, pretty three, interesting like, list. Yeah, yeah, I think we all brought something a little bit different, which is exactly what we were trying to do. So what do you say now we have some? fun with caveman so last week i gave derek songs for movies i gave him the song and he had to guess the movie it appeared in and of course the twist was i had to sing the songs it was it was painful for all of us involved and greg as you mentioned you listened and you were you pointed it out you know i thought what better thing to do than just to go back to that well again so here we go wow.
2: gentlemen,
1: name that tune. So Greg, since you loved my singing so much, you're going to be the one in the hot seat this time around. All right. So I'm going to sing you a song and you have to name the movie that it appears in. Last week, Derek got them all right. No doubt due to my faithful renditions of the vocals, by the way. He also thought they might have been a little bit too easy. So this time around, I'm going to start you out with some easy ones. I'm going to try and make it a little bit harder as we go on. Okay? Okay. And speaking of going on. Every night in my dreams, I see you. I feel you. That is how I know you. Go on.
2: If you have any listeners in Quebec, they're not going to listen to you anymore. (laughs) As a French Canadian, that that hurts.
1: (laughs) You know it's from Titanic. Okay. Wow, who doesn't? Won't you come see about me? I'll be alone dancing. You know it, baby. Tell me your troubles and doubts, given everything
2: inside and out. Yeah, can I get a whole bunch of Saturday detention so I don't have to listen to that one again? <laughs> That's a breakfast Don't need money,
1: don't need fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes, but it might
2: just save your life. Yeah, you should start a cover band called Pewee Lewis in the news. That was awful. My
1: baby, he don't talk sweet. He ain't got much to say, but he loves me, loves me, loves me. I know he loves me anyway. That's from Footloose, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's right. cute for the boy. Yeah, that's it. Hey, oh, hey, yeah, you got yeah, yeah, it right. stop one.
2: singing. yeah this is like a karaoke night where they've barricaded the exit door and you can't get out
1: (laughs) (laughs) I could stay awake just to hear you breathing watch you smile while you are sleeping while you're far away and dreaming I could spend my life send an
2: asteroid to this earth and let it end (laughs)
1: and he is to you mrs Robinson Jesus loves you more than you will know oh god bless you please mrs Robinson heaven holds a place for those who pray
2: I'll be honest with you I thought the lemonheads did a version of that but you topped it from what movie oh the graduate yes there you go
1: color me your color baby color me your car color me your color darling i know who you are come up off your color chart i know where you're coming from call me on the line, oh. call me, call me, call me
2: anytime, call me. Yeah, you should consider a career as a gigolo because as a singer, you're not cutting it. <laughs> American jigolo, American Gigolo from 1980. <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: If I <laughs> should stay, I would only Oh, oh, yeah. I gotta make I gotta let you get to that high note, man. I <laughs> always, always love you. I <laughs> always yeah. love you.
2: I. <laughs> Dude, there are dogs in my neighborhood howling right now. That, is that? That, that's isn't that from the bodyguard? It is. <laughs> <I> guess. <laughs>
1: You must have been cold there in my shadow to never have sunlight on your face. You were content to let me shine. Did you ever know that you're my hero, Greg? And everything I'd like to be. I can fly higher than an eagle, for you are the wind beneath my wings.
2: You know, I didn't think it could get any worse than when Krusty the Clown sang that to Sideshow (laughs) (laughs) Mel. Yeah, that was, that's that's from that movie Beaches with Bette Midler, right? (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs).
1: Oh man. And we can build this dream together, standing strong forever, nothing's going to stop us now. And if this world runs out of lovers, we still got each other, nothing's going to stop us now.
2: Whatever's going to make this stop. Uh, Mannequin. Oh,
1: (laughs) first they were jefferson airplane then they were jefferson starship and then they were starship jefferson and then finally they were just starship i just want to say something you knock my singing Derek knocks my singing but you both went 10 for 10 so big thanks greg for joining us once again uh you become like a semi-regular around here
2: anytime guys i love being on it so i feel like
1: i feel like you bring a little bit of class to the joint you know, something we really, really need, especially with me doing all this crazy stuff,
0: so well, and he, he certainly does a lot more homework than we do. he He, he talked about his movies like a, a university professor would talk about, you know, this film is art because mine was all like, I think the songs sound nice." And this was like, This is some of the background trivia. It's like, Greg, you're making us look bad, man. Next time you come on, be less prepared. (laughs) And and then it comes over to me and I'm
1: like, nothing's going going to stop us now.
0: Come on for a movie review of a movie you haven't watched.
1: So, Derek, you and I were talking. We thought it might be cool to take a look back at some movies celebrating anniversaries this year. in In our eighth season. And a 50th anniversary is a pretty big deal. It's the golden anniversary, Derek. Unless you're R. Kelly, then of course, it's anniversary, but we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hell. But anyway, so so Derek, you and I thought it would be cool if we, we took a look back and picked a film celebrating its 50th anniversary. So, so we
0: want me to go first? Yes, yes. Why don't so, you pick something? We'll, yeah. we'll do trade-off. You pick something celebrating its 50th then I'll pick something celebrating its 50th oh, and I okay. suspect if it's if it's something big enough for us to watch 50 years later it's probably a classic that many of our viewers or listeners have probably already seen before but hey you never know maybe it give them an excuse to to, to dig up something that uh, that is a capital C classic that has stood the time, test of time but yeah what, what do you got for me so, so it's funny, funny. I thought you life. were gonna
1: say I pick a, a song or a movie from a 50th anniversary and then you're gonna sing for us next week but I guess that's not gonna happen right uh probably
0: not
1: probably not okay so yeah 50th anniversary takes us back to 1973 it's pretty old and you know when i look at that year there was some there were some strong candidates there was shaft in africa the cheerleaders i mean there were some good movies in that year but i think i know you're not a big horror movie fan but i think one of the most iconic films to come out of that year was the exorcist i think we should go back and watch the exorcist and review it what do you think
0: all right. Uh, I have seen it, but I haven't seen it since I worked at Blockbuster in the late 90s. So it, mm-hmm. it I don't want to say it'll be like coming to it brand new, but uh, I'm sure that there will be a large portions of that movie that will be unfamiliar to me. All right. So we're going to watch The Exorcist. We're
1: going to come back and we're going to review it. 50-year anniversary of the film. Hard to believe. I promise that I will not sing next week. So there's that to look forward to. So I'm sure people will come back. So until next week, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.